We're going to be starting a new study tonight on the book of Ephesians. You know, uh, it's all very well knowing all kinds of deep prophecy and all those things, but the most important thing is to go to the Word. When in doubt, go to the Word. And um, there are several things that we can learn tonight and draw strength from, from the Word of God, which is found in the New Testament and, and examples in the Old Testament. Ephesians 1, 1 starts off this way. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And that means sent. Someone who is sent is an apostle. By the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So this letter was not just written to the church in Ephesus. It's really written to all of us. And we'll see that later where Paul specifically says that the... Um, that this letter should be read not just in the church at Ephesus, but in several different churches, and we will get to that. But before that, I just want to lay some background on where this church was. Ephesus uh, today would be, would be in the country of Turkey, and it was near to the coast. And if you see that map, it was near to Greece. I know you can't see it very, very well, but today, um, of course, the city doesn't stand um, as Ephesus anymore. It is, it is near um, a town in Turkey called Selkuk. And they have esca- excavated the remains, and you can, you can take a tour and see where all of the, the history of the Roman Empire was, was built upon and where this central pillar of Christianity started from. Now, the church in Ephesus uh, is referenced in the book of Acts, which is where we're going to start first, as to get our, our context of where it was coming from. And we find in the book of Acts, as the gospel message started to spread, and as the disciples faced persecution, that they went out to many different uh, places, just as God had asked them to. Jesus had said that first you stay in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Uh, But you know what happened after they were endued with power? They stayed in Jerusalem. The only thing that made them move was persecution. You know, sometimes the only thing that makes us move unfortunately, is persecution. That's the thing that sometimes motivates us. When, when things are going good, we get comfortable. We get set in our ways. We don't want to do anything. But when persecution comes, it tends to motivate us. And this was the, the, the motivator when persecution came to Jerusalem that finally the gospel started to spread out to the rest of the world, just as Jesus had said, first in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Is that what he said? Amen. So we find in, in Acts chapter 18, uh, the first missionary that comes to the city of Ephesus, and I'm just going to read it. And it says, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, which was in Egypt, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a center of Roman pagan worship. Their, their goddess that they worshipped was the goddess Diana. And so there was a lot of pagan worship in this, in this city. You know, sometimes we look at where we live and we think, wow, things have become very pagan. People don't love God. But the early church went through the same thing. They had, they had similar fights that we do. The Bible says in, in, in verse 25, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, but he only knew the baptism of John. 
He only knew the baptism of repentance. But with what light he had, he shared it. And he shared it boldly. And it began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. So this tells us several things about this person, Apollos. He was humble. He was teachable. He already had some knowledge of some truth, but when someone came, he didn't say, well, who are you? You know, a lot of times when truth is put to people, they say, okay, uh, I don't need to know anything from you. But the one thing we can see about this, he says, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Uh, We don't know everything. We know enough maybe for salvation. But the Bible says that we journey on. Paul himself said that he presses towards the mark of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus. He said, it's not as if I had attained. And the Bible tells us that we are to study, that we are to, 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 to dig into God's word so that we can learn and also grow because the Bible tells us that the word of God is the most powerful thing. So now, so foundation was laid in the city of Ephesus and a little bit later, started in Acts 19.1, Paul came through. And this is where we see some very interesting things. This is the uh, another um, baptism that we find in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. That means these were people who were following. Okay, they were diligent. He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since he believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. This, this whole chapter is very important in the early church because it shows us that baptism and how you're baptized is not just a, a, a happenstance. It does, it does matter how you are baptized because the next thing Paul says explaining to them that what Apollos had taught them, that is John's baptism, was of the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that should come after him, and that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So this tells us a lot. It tells us, first of all, that the way you're baptized is important. Now, they could have said, well, we were baptized exactly like Jesus was. Wasn't Jesus baptized by John the Baptist? So they could have said, oh, no, we don't need to be baptized again because we've been baptized like Jesus was. But Paul explained that that was just a, a baptism of repentance, but that there was more for us to understand. There was more for them to get, and they were humble enough to sit and learn that there was this added blessing of the Holy Spirit if they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues. Now all of this happened at the church in Ephesus. And so Paul started to minister throughout all of Ephesus and Asia Minor as it was called then. It says, and he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months. Every uh, first day of the week, 
they would, uh, and on the Saturday, on the Sabbath, they would go in and they, he spoke to all the Jews that were there, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But you know, there's always going to be people who don't want to hear the truth. And it says, but when divers were hardened, that means uh, m- certain people were hardened in their uh, understanding and believed not, but spake evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples. Truth will separate. Truth will separate. So Paul first went to the synagogue to preach that Jesus was the Messiah and the, the good news, the gospel of how you could be saved. But after three months of preaching in the synagogue, they rejected and they started to badmouth him and, 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 and come against him. So after they were given this opportunity, he, he separated the disciples and started to teach daily in a school. Amen, Sister Michelle. So you, you're in good company. Paul started a church in a school. And this continued for by the space of two years. In fact, Ephesus was one of the places that Paul stayed almost the longest. That and Antioch. He stayed about a year in Antioch and two years in Ephesus. Uh, so that all that which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. For two years, he preached and he taught in, in, in a city that was essentially pagan. You know, sometimes we look at where we're living now in our city and we think, boy, it's such a, a, a almost impossible task. There, there's so much unbelief. There's so much sin. There's so much... Um, uh, worldliness. But Paul was in no way discouraged. He just, every, every Sabbath day, every first day of the week, he would go and, and preach the gospel. He would go to the, to the areas where the, the philosophers gathered and he would start to tell them about Jesus Christ. And then God started to honor his faith. In verse 11 it says, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and evil spirits went out of them. So I believe from verse 12 that this was not a common thing, but God supernaturally affirmed his ministry because that's what miracles and signs are for, to affirm and to persuade people who are unbelievers. Amen. Now sometimes even when there is a miracle, people will still not believe because Jesus did hundreds, maybe thousands of miracles, and people still did not not believe. He fed 15,000 at one time, the first time, with the 12 loaves, right? It says 5,000 men and women and children. So you could probably multiply that 5,000 by three for the number of people he he fed. He raised Lazarus. That did not make people suddenly believe. So miracles alone do not Uh, change a heart. That has to be a work of the Spirit. Amen. Because people can still be hardened after a miracle. We see that in the Old Testament with Pharaoh, right? When Moses threw down his stick and it turned into a stake, he got his magicians to try and copy it. He went through ten different um, huge uh, miracles from God before he finally let the people go. So it's great when we do have miracles, but we can't use them as the proof of, uh, of, of, of making people turn to God. It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said to Peter when he asked him, Who 
am I? Who do you say I am? He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He didn't say, well, it's because of the miracles you believe. No, he didn't say it's because you've seen me heal people. He said, this is because of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy This This was revealed to you, not by flesh and blood, but by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're studying here this, this first part of the book of Ephesians. And we see how the ministry in, in Ephesus started first uh, br- brought to light in the book of Acts that they were believers, but they were believers in the baptism of John. It's amazing to think that John the Baptist in Israel spread his message of repentance all the way over to this city in what is present-day Turkey, that there were believers who had been baptized according to John the Baptist. But when Paul came through and uh, um, Aquila, sorry, Aquila and Aquila, let me get that right, my brain is... Aquila and Priscilla came through. The Bible says that they, they expounded more uh, perfectly the way. Amen. And so people now began to be baptized again in the name of the Lord Jesus. And not only that, they began to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So it says that he went into the synagogue and he spake boldly for the space of three months. He went to the Jews first, just as Jesus had commanded. But when they rejected him, and I said Sunday that sometimes you have to kick the dust off of your feet, right? I said the Bible says not to cast your pearls before swine. There's a time when you, when you go somewhere and you've told them and you've told them and you've told them. If they're not listening, go to someone else. Amen. Go to someone else. Amen. Acts 19, 13. But you know when God starts to bless... There's always going to be some opposition. And after he had been there a while, here comes the opposition. It says, and then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits by the name of the Lord Jesus. They knew how the power came, saying, we adjure thee by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. You can't have this as a secondhand experience. It won't work that way. You have to have a personal relationship. You can't say by so-and-so's experience. You have to have this for yourself. And there were seven sons one of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? See, if you don't have that Holy Spirit, they're not going to respect your walk. Amen. I remember once we went somewhere to pray for someone who was being troubled by a spirit. And they, as soon as we came in the house, they ran up to their room and wouldn't come out. They wouldn't come near us. <laughs> we, we prayed in the house anyway, but they, we, they, they didn't want us to touch them. They, they ran away. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house Naked and wounded. I bet that message went around town. <laughs> I bet that message, that, that story went around town. No, don't try that. Don't try that unless you're full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Don't try that unless you're truly his child. Amen. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them that the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. This was a place of pagan worship. This was a place where they sacrificed 
to uh, Roman and Greek gods where they, they burned amulets and tried to conjure up spirits. So this was certainly um, a place we think today is bad, but uh, they early church had their warfare too. Amen. But finally, it was time for Paul to leave. And you know what caused him to leave? Opposition. You see, God did not want him to stay permanently in Ephesus. That wasn't, that wasn't where he was supposed to stay. He was there as an evangelist to start a church and get it established. But as I said, what usually moves us is opposition. It's persecution that gets us stirred up and actually gets us motivated. If things are comfortable and going well, we, we usually say, don't even touch the boat. Why rock the boat? But when things are going badly, then we start to actually try and do something. So it turns out that it was opposition that came in a, in a really vicious way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. Of course, all these people that were building these idols, they didn't want to hear that that was idol worship because this was destroying their business. He, he, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. So he got all of his fellow idol makers and he said, Listen, there's this fellow Paul here and if we let him keep on preaching that this is wrong, he's going to destroy our livelihood. Moreover, he's seeing here that not alone at Ephesus but also almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. Amen. There are no gods which you can make with your hands. Amen. You can't make any god out of your work, out of your education. Anything that is man-made cannot be a god. We say we don't, we're not idol worshippers, but if we try and do those things, uh, unconsciously we're putting things before God. So that... Not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana, which Ephesus was famous for uh, the, the temple of Diana. Each city in those days had their own goddess or god that was the central uh, figure for that, for that city. And in Ephesus, it was the goddess Diana who was um, the goddess of hunting. Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. So they, they started up a big commotion. And uh, in Acts 20 it says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples. He knew that this was a cue from God. He, he shouldn't be here anymore. He needs to move on and spread the gospel. So he called a council and said his goodbyes and departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. Macedonia is in Greece. And there abode three months. When the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. Now I want to point out something. Many times we start going, woe is me. Lord, it's too much. I mean, I'm guilty of it too. Lord, I can't take it. We can't, 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 can't manage, Lord. And we, we, we get into all this stuff. And then the devil will come and say, you know what that means? God has forsaken you. But that does not what it means. All it means is he wants us to move. He wants us to get up. This is what happened to Paul. Opposition in the New Testament, all it did was as a way of spreading the gospel. Amen. So when you get some opposition, it's because God wants you to move. 
God wants to do, do something with your life. He's saying, hey, I want you to, there's got to be a change here. Amen. So this is what happened. Paul was quite comfortable for two years, but there came then the opposition and God said, you know, Paul, I called you to be on a missionary journey, not to stay in Ephesus. You've done what I called you to do. So now there's a very famous um, um, talk or, or a monologue by Paul called, we call it Paul's Charge. And he, he knew that he wasn't coming back through Ephesus. He knew that this was going to be his last time because he was then going to go to Jerusalem and he knew that he was going to be arrested. And he knew that he was probably going to Rome. So he started to give them uh, instructions and give them a preview of what might happen. Acts chapter 20 Uh, 20 verse 16 for Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia so he came back through Ephesus one more time to say goodbye to them if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and he called all the elders of the church where he had ministered for two years and when they were come to him he said unto them he started to give them his testimony and he, and he was doing this because he wanted what he was about to say to them to stick. Because he wasn't going to be able to come back. He says, he know from the first day that I came into Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. I preached the other day that we go through seasons. Sometimes it's summer. Sometimes it's spring. Sometimes it's fall in your life, right? There's going to be seasons. But with God's help, you can get through all of them. Amen. He says, you know what, man, I have been with you at all seasons. When things were going good in the church, when things were not going good in the church. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears. Yes, Paul cried. There were things that made him sad. And that's what gives, should give me a new hope. Just because we're going to be, there's going to be things that, that, that come into our lives that are sad times doesn't mean God is not with you. Amen. Just because you're in prison doesn't mean that God is not with you. We we see later that after he goes to Jerusalem and he's arrested and he's in prison and about to be sent on a long voyage to Rome, that the angel of the Lord shows up and the Lord starts to speak to him in prison and says, Paul, don't worry about this. I'm with you. I've still chosen you and I'm going to be with you even though you're in prison. Now, God didn't release the gates and open open the prison. No, because God's will was for him to go to Rome. The best way for him to speak to, to Caesar was as a prisoner. He would never have gotten an audience any other way. Sometimes God uses our suffering to spread the gospel. This is the message from Ephesus. This is the message of the New Testament that sometimes persecution can put us in a place, first of all, where we're praying, where we're seeking God, where we understand that we have to change, that there's got to be a change. It cannot go on the same way. So here he's giving his testimony. Verse 20 is also a very uh, great verse. And I've used this before in my teaching. He says, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. You know what he's saying? Yeah, I told you a lot of controversial things. Paul's message was, was completely um, foreign to Jews. That what? You don't have to keep the Sabbath? You don't have to be circumcised? This, this would blow their minds. This would get them angry. This would make them mad. But still, he wanted to preach the grace of God. That's why he wrote Romans. And he says, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. The gospel message. But have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. 
Jumping down to verse 28 is where he comes with his warning to the people of Ephesus of what was going to happen. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch. That's what we're commanded to do. Watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every night, everyone night and day with tears. Amen. So that was the prelude to the book of Ephesians. Because remember now, he's going away. He's going to write to the Ephesians. Ephesians was not written when he was at Ephesus. Ephesians was written when he had left. And he's writing back to them. But you know, before we go into the book of Ephesians, because this is just part one, there is a second epistle to the church of Ephesians that's probably even more important. Anyone know where that is found? That's right. Revelations. Because Jesus wrote to the church of Ephesus. And before we go into the epistle from Paul, I want to go over what Jesus said to the same church. He said, unto the church, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience for my name's sake, hast labored, and hast not fainted. Verse 4, but nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. I taught Sunday about the Meh church, right? The life, life just gets us worn out. We get so tired that we start to just go through the motions and we lose that love and that joy and that passion. It is so easy because the devil will just come not with outright sins but just with cares of life and things you got to do and bills you got to pay and children you got to look after and just draw all of the joy Take out all of the expectation. Take out all of the passion. This is what happened to the church of Ephesus. They were so uh, persecuted. They were so used to having to defend themselves that they started to lose the joy of of first love, of, of the newness of the grace of God and what this liberty of grace and God's um, unremitting love really meant. They started to lose that. And so Jesus here in his epistle to the church is, is telling them this, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. That's the whole message in itself, right? First works. Amen. When we first came to lo- the Lord and how joyful we were and how, 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 how full of joy we were when we, when we had that first love. When you're, fr- your first love, right? You, you, you can't help but smile. You can't help but be joyful. Nothing's gonna upset you. That's what we're called to do, is to remember why we're doing this thing. This is what uh, Jesus was telling the church in Ephesians. You, you, you've done a great work, but don't get weary in well-doing. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. That means go back the other way. And do the first works, or else I will come and unto thee quickly, and I will remove 
thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, the Bible doesn't go explicitly in what the deeds of the Nicolaitans means, but um, I'll tell you what the, the, the general con- consensus is. Nicholas was one of the seven um, deacons that were appointed in the book of Acts. And, of course, the word uh, Nicholas comes from the Greek, which means to, to please the people or victory over the people. You know, Nike, that's where we get the word Nike from. Victory, the, the, the swoosh. And what this is believed to be is that you, have, you had people who were controlling people. And today you have that too. You have some leadership that tend to want to control the membership in everything they do. You know, you, you first come to me before you go buy a suit. Let me approve it. And so this, this lordship over the people was the, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And it says at least the church of Ephesus could recognize when there were people who were setting themselves up in the place of God. He says, he finishes with this, He that hath an ear, let him what? Hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now all of that was just preamble to the actual lesson. (laughs) Now we're going to start in the book of Ephesus. Amen. Amen. And we started with the focus scripture, which was Paul writing to the church to which he had spent two years um, getting going and, and praying and teaching. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. How? By the will of God. That's the only way you can be sent is by the will of God. You can go to seminary or cemetery or whatever it is, but that don't make you sent. You can learn all the Hebrew and Greek, but that don't make you sent. Okay? That is only if it's by the will of God. That's what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, how? By the will of God. To the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. The Bible says when he comes back, will he find faith? Will he find faithful saints? Then verse 2 says, Grace be to you. Peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And people say, wait a minute. That looks like there's two people there, right? From God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, of course, in the Greek, it just happens to be the way that the translator uh, translated because he had a Trinitarian background. But that word and in the Greek is kai, and it can mean even or thus. And if you read it that way, then it says, uh, Grace to, to be to you and peace from the Lord our Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's what I really believe it should have been translated, because that word can mean thus or even. And because the Bible was translated, the King James Version, in the 16th uh, hundreds by Trinitarians, they decided it would have must be and. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all things. How has He blessed us with all things? Spiritually and by faith. I'm ble- didn't I make you say that I'm blessed and highly favored? You have to say that because the bible says that we are we are walking in spiritual he has seated us in heavenly places 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you've got the Holy Ghost, you have been spiritually blessed in heavenly places in Christ. To look at Jesus on earth, you would not know he was the King of Kings or Lord of Lords. Pilate could look at him and think he's just a revolutionary Jew. He says to Jesus, don't you know who I am? Don't you know I have the power to, to kill you? And Jesus says, you would have no power unless it was given to you by my Father. Amen. To look on the earthly, you cannot see the spiritual. You have to see with spiritual eyes. So, yes, I am blessed with all spiritual blessings. You may not see it. Amen. I may not see it in the physical, but that's what the scripture tells me. You have a choice. Do you believe it? Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. How? In love. In love. Because the Bible tells us that perfect love casts out fear. Amen. Perfect love casts out fear. That's what the scripture tells us. Now, here is the proof that Paul wanted these um, letters not just read to the Colossians and to the Ephesians. Here's what he says in Colossians 4.16. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that he likewise read the epistle from Laodicea in your church. So there was there is a, a gospel that we have not we've lost track of. It's obvious he also wrote other letters to the church at Laodicea that we don't have present today. But what we do have present is enough for salvation. God has made sure that what we have is enough truth to be saved. Amen. So what does it mean, all spiritual blessing? Does it mean I'm a, a millionaire? Does it mean I, I, you go out there and I'll have a Rolls Royce? No, that's not what it's speaking about. Because there's many people who have money, but they don't have peace. They don't have happiness. They don't have joy. They don't have love. In fact, they have terror because they're wondering when their money is going to go. <laughs> they're wondering when their money is going to go. They're wondering who's, who, whose stock is up and whose stock is down. He says, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. When in him, then everything that belongs to him is ours, right? Because why? Because we are heirs and joint heirs. See, tonight I'm going right back to the word. I'm not doing anything uh, deep. I'm going to the word. When in doubt, you go to the word. Amen. Blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Whenever you get weak, you need to say out to the atmosphere, I am blessed and highly favored, right? Amen. I'm blessed and highly favored. You need to say that because this is what the scripture says. You can, you're walking on the word when you say that because it says he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. That means I'm going to have peace. Life, victory, redemption, boldness, forgiveness, righteousness, power, amen, and fruit. In sin, we can't have any of that. You can, you can only see what the flesh can see and what the flesh can achieve. 
But in Christ, we can have peace. He says, in the world, you shall have tribulation. But in me, you shall have what? Peace. We see the greatest example of that is when Jesus was arrested. Did he, did he rail and rant and decry all of his accusers? No, the Bible said he kept his mouth shut. Because he knew why he was there. He had a peace. And the Bible tells us that the peace of God, which passeth human understanding, can keep you. Hallelujah, can keep you. So the spiritual that we cannot see is greater than the natural that we can see. And when you have faith to believe that, then things will start to happen in your life. I can, I can honestly tell you, I was coming out of work today and I was thinking about God and just thanking Him, just thanking Him. And I realized that everything that doesn't depend on a human choice, He's done for me. I can't pray that he overrides someone else's choice. But outside of that, everything I've asked him for that doesn't depend on human choice, he's done for me. I mean, <laughs> that's all I can say. You know, when we pray for others, we can't, we can't make God uh, make them robots. But what we can pray for is that God will keep giving them an opportunity. They still have to make a free choice to come to him. And outside of that, when I look at my life, I can see that God has worked so many circumstances to give me blessing, to, to get me through, which I could not do without him. Amen. The spiritual is greater than the natural. Amen. It always is. And I've told this story so many times. Um, when Jacob came to before Isaac to be blessed, and he put the spiritual blessing on him, and his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and he kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him. The father's blessing is invaluable. If God blesses you, there's nothing anyone can do about it. You cannot curse whom God has blessed. Amen. I told someone, must be just yesterday, no weapon formed against you can prosper. You lose one job, you'll get a two times better one. <laughs> That's... That's been my experience. Amen. The Father's blessing cannot be valued. It's worth more than silver or gold because it is spiritual. In the, When God blesses you and says, I choose you, I put my hand upon you, I call you, that cannot be paid for in gold. He put his hand and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field which the Lord hath blessed. The way that Jacob obtained the blessing, though, is something died. His mother said, go and kill a goat. It was, it was a sacrifice to cover Jacob, because Jacob really wasn't worthy. He wasn't the first son. He wasn't the firstborn. Plus, he was a bit of a trickster. But God sometimes calls those things that are not as though they are. And because of the, symbolically, the sacrifice of a lamb and the skin covering him, he received the blessing, even though he didn't deserve it. Do you understand that Jesus, the Lamb of God, has died for us so we can get the covering, we can come before the Father, and he can lay his hands upon us, and we can still receive the blessing. Now, physically, when everybody looked, nothing had changed. He didn't suddenly, a bag of gold didn't fall down from the sky. But he had something, all right. He had something all right. He said, uh, therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. When God puts a blessing on a people, they are blessed. That's why despite the, 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 the throughout history where 
Satan has tried to exterminate the Jews. He can't. He cannot. Do you know something amazing that happened in the Old Testament? The command that God gave in Genesis was what? Be fruitful, multiply. When did Israel really become fruitful and multiply? It was in Egypt. <laughs> That's what made Pharaoh say, we got to do something. These people, they went down as 70. They came out as millions. It was in Egypt under the persecution, under threat of extermination. Do you understand? That's where we're going to multiply. Amen. Therefore God give thee of the dew of the heaven, the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren. Let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. They better not say a word against you. Jesus brought that forth Jesus brought that forth in Matthew 18. He said, it is better that a millstone was tied around someone's neck who messes with one of my little ones. The spiritual always precedes the natural. So when Jacob had to run away because Esau was coming, he took nothing with him. He didn't have a pillow. I'm, I'm coming back to Ephesians, but I want to show you that when Paul said in Ephesians that we are blessed in spiritual blessings. I'm using the Old Testament to illustrate it. That when Jacob left, he took nothing, but he took the spiritual blessing of his father. He didn't, he, in the end, the stuff he schemed for, the physical blessing that, that Isaac actually had, he got actually nothing of that. He took none of his flocks, none of his, he took nothing of that, but he took the thing that was important, the spiritual blessing. And 21 years when he came back, he had so much wealth. No matter how many times Laban tried to cheat him, God would turn the tables. No matter how many times the devil tries to cheat you, God will make the spiritual start to manifest in the physical. So the spiritual precedes the natural. Genesis 30, 43. Years later, the man increased exceedingly. Exceedingly. That means above normal, beyond, beyond the normal, beyond measure. And had much cattle and maid servants and men servants and camels and asses. Psalm 37 verse 37 says, Mark the perfect man and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. You may be going through it now, but Paul to the Ephesians told them, Listen, you have been given spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessing. So the spiritual blessing is about God's favor. God's abiding presence. You may have no money, but if you got God's presence, you have everything. God's lifelong guidance. And of course, the future inheritance. Amen. And that's what Jacob understood after a while. At the end of his life, when he was passing the blessing onto his sons, he said this. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Amen. He had gotten the spiritual blessing. That's what Paul was telling the Ephesian church. He says, listen, you may not see it in the natural right now, but you have something that is more valuable than gold. When you have God's favor, when you have his relationship, when you can pray and he answers, you have something more valuable than gold. 
The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 4, going back to the Ephesians, it says, according as he hath chosen us in him. We didn't choose him. None of us ever chose the parents we were born to. We had no choice. But God chose us. Even though we think we chose ourselves, no, God chose us. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should, that we, this is God's plan, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption. That means he planned this adoption. He planned as soon as Adam sinned that he was going to adopt us into back into the family according to the good pleasure of his will. Amen. We are being adopted back into the heavenly family, chosen in him. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, if, if you were royalty, um, you would feel so pretty good, wouldn't you? If, you're, if you were, uh, you know, even if he was a, a third removed, yeah, I can trace my, my family tree back to King George or whatever. You know, me, when people ask me where I'm from, I tell them everywhere. I was coming out... Uh, uh, up a yard the other night, up a yard, and uh, this guy must have been looking at me, and he couldn't quite tell what my ethnic background was. He's <laughs> trying to figure it out. So he says, are you Chinese, American? I told him I'm from everywhere. I've been adopted into the heavenly family. He couldn't, he was trying to figure me out. <laughs> I said, I got a bit of everything. Amen. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. You know, we should leave here tonight with some joy, some hope. Amen. Because our good brother has gone on before us. But the Bible says if we should die. Amen. Don't weep too much for me. Amen. As I told you the story, we don't know if it's true or not, but that when Jesus came to raise Lazarus, he wasn't crying because he was dead. He was crying because he was going to have to take him away. Lazarus was going to have to leave his family that had gone before him. And anyone who's had a true experience of heaven doesn't want to come back here. I tell you that. Amen. Does not want to come back here. Amen. It says there are two keys to understanding these two verses. And these are the words, us in him and in himself. He has adopted us into himself. Woo, need to meditate upon that. Amen. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Now when Paul used this term in his days, it meant something much more than its meaning today. Because in those days... Uh, the Roman system of adoption meant you were going to be the heir. The Romans um, had a special uh, adoption um, law or a way of doing things uh, when they wanted to, to designate who was going to be the heir. For instance, there were many Roman empire, emperors who decided that they didn't want their natural son to be after them and they would adopt some other relative son, and that was going to, whoever they adopted was going to be the heir. Um, you can look it up on Google. I, I put this here for the notes. But adoption was a, a really big deal. And so when Paul said we were adopted, he was using the, the, the 
understanding of his day to show how strong and, and what this meant, that it wasn't just that you were, um, you know, going to have a name change, but it meant that you were going to inherit. Amen. Then he goes on to say this, and I, I want to show you three times he says this, and this is so awesome. In Ephesians 1, 6, he says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. In other words, it's not just John that was the beloved disciple. It's all of us. He says he, we are accepted in the beloved. Not just love, but the beloved. That's a special term of endearment. In Matthew 12, 18, Behold my servant who I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. This was speaking of Jesus. But now, because we are filled with his spirit, Ephesians 1, 6 broadens it to us. It says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We are part of the beloved. Amen. If you're part of the beloved... Think about it. If you're God's beloved, people better not mess with you. He will defend his own. In fact, he said, he said, Jesus, when he was praying in, in, in John, he said, listen, I've lost none of them, save for the son of perdition. So this, God says he, he's, not, he's not willing to let any of us be lost. Do you understand the depth of that, of God saying that he would that none be lost? All the, the, the minimum we just have to do is love him back. Because we are accepted in the beloved. He wants to just give us a hug. He wants to show us his love. Amen. And it's going to be fulfilled. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Then he goes on, because he's trying to reinforce all the teaching he has left with this church. He says, in whom we have redemption. That means we've been bought back. Redemption is when you, you know, you, you, something was, was taken away and you paid a price for it. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Through his blood. I was listening to someone today and they pointed out that in the Old Testament, blood, when they did a sacrifice, was never sprinkled on a person except under two circumstances. The blood was always sprinkled on the ground or on the, on the, but it was never sprinkled on the person. The only time it was done was when that person was being consecrated as a Levite or was going to minister in the tabernacle. But in the New Testament, the Bible says he has spread his blood because we are now his ministers. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Isn't that awesome? Wherein he hath abounded, not a little bit, abounded to us in all wisdom and prudence. God's love is so great, and yet we, we, we don't even recognize it many times. We don't, we don't acknowledge it much. Amen. And I'm, I'm not going to finish this first part this week, but we, we'll go a little bit further. He goes on to say, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Amen. It is a mystery because in the New Testament, that word is used about 13 times and it's, it's concerning the church. How in the Old Testament, all of these symbols and stuff was not revealed, the meaning and this symbology. But in the New Testament, the mystery has been revealed about his will that we would be adopted, that we would be part of the beloved according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one 
all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Amen. If you could stand with me. This is part one. The praise of the glory of his grace. That's in Ephesians 1, 6. Then he repeats it in verse 12. To the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Then he repeats it again in verse 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Again, unto the praise of his glory. I want to be the praise of his glory. Amen. You have been accepted and adopted into the beloved. Last scripture I'm going to read. Romans 9.23, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. That's who I am, a vessel of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. You have been prepared and destined for his glory. Amen. We are his crowning work. We are his crowning glory. Amen. Because this is why he came and died, so that we could be redeemed and that he could Pour out his love on us. That's why it's going to take eternity for God to show how much he loves us. Nothing, nothing in this life will mean anything compared to eternity. If you spent a hundred years in prison and never got out and was given uh, water and, 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 and dry bread every day, what will that compare to a thousand years in heaven? Ten thousand years in heaven. A million years with Christ. Amen. The Bible says that I have not seen nor ear heard what he has got in store for them that love him. I want to encourage you tonight, as Paul was trying to encourage the church of Ephesus, that they are his beloved, that you are his... God has a plan from the foundation of the world that he has prepared for us, that we should be adopted into the heavenly family, and that he has chosen us. It was not... Uh, a happenstance. It was not uh, a, a, a drive-by that you are here tonight. But God chose your soul from eternity and wanted to have a relationship with you. Amen. And that we are accepted in the beloved. Amen. And that we are seated in heavenly places. And that we have all spiritual blessings. When you leave here tonight, it doesn't matter what you can see with your eyes. You need to look with faith and declare, I'm still blessed and highly favored. I don't care what Satan says, I am blessed and highly favored. I don't care what the doctor says, I'm, my fate is already determined. If I die, I'm going to be with God. Amen. I am blessed and highly favored. I'm going to declare that over every aspect of my life, over my family. Amen. I'm going to declare that because I'm only saying what his word says. Amen. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted accepted in the beloved hallelujah amen so you leave here tonight not down but joyful that you're accepted in the beloved hallelujah if you could bow your hearts with me father we thank you tonight for your word lord as you wrote a book to the church of Ephesus, Lord. Help us to do our first works again. Lord God, that you will renew us, revive us, hallelujah. Restore our faith, hallelujah. That we will have joy from the wells of salvation. We thank you tonight for your goodness and your grace. Hallelujah. We lift up your name and we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. If everyone could give God a praise offering tonight. Hallelujah.